0: So welcome back to Adventures in Blockchain. This is a show that's all about blockchain development. So I'm Gregory from Dapp University, and I've got my co-panelist Bruno here, and we're gonna talk about our first experiences in blockchain today, right, as blockchain developers. You know, what we ran into as we first got into blockchain the things that we learned so that we can help you all as you're learning more about blockchain and the industry and how to get in and how to learn all this stuff, all right?
1: About four years into my career, I got tired of going from job to job or I'd either get laid off from a job I liked or wind up quitting a job that I couldn't take anymore. And eventually I wound up going freelance. I made a bunch of friends and we started a podcast called The Freelancer Show. The Freelancer Show has been running for about seven years now and features not necessarily the same people that we started the show with, but experts in running a business and people who are out there actually doing freelance work. You can check it out at thefreelancershow.com.
2: So, uh, yeah, looking forward to our chat today, Bruno. Hi, Gregory. Hello, everyone. Uh, nice having everyone here back in the podcast, and looking forward for this talk.
0: Yeah, you and me both. So, I'm sure Bruno and I are going to have different uh, kind of experiences with this. We're kind of approaching blockchain development from two different angles. I focus more on the public blockchain side uh, with Ethereum-based technologies and, and Roman. What are What are you working on mostly?
2: Yeah, so I come from the um, Private blockchain or blockchain for business um, side of things. So I haven't really had any experience with public blockchains. So I have a fairly different mindset of or of how I view blockchain in general. Um, so it should be interesting to see what are the you know the key aspects of each type of uh, blockchain solution.
0: Yeah, totally. So, I'll go ahead and kick us off. You know, how did I get into blockchain? What was my first experience like? You know, because, man, it was quite an experience because it's a totally different world from any, you know, programming that I'd done before. You know, my background before I got into blockchain was, you know, full stack engineering with an emphasis on backend, primarily for web technologies. Mm. You know, I got into blockchain because like a lot of other people, I noticed cryptocurrency prices moving and, you know, that caught my attention as an opportunity and, you know, looking deeper into the technology that actually ran cryptocurrencies and ran all these ICOs that were happening and things like that, right? Um, So that's what, you know, got me in. That's what uh, got me curious and that's how I learned initially, like i I got into blockchain because I wanted to build my own projects. Um, wasn't necessarily because I was trying to get a job necessarily as a blockchain developer, though that did become a motivation for staying in blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that was what caught my attention. So when I was looking into blockchain, it was really hard to find good learning resources, right? All the resources that I came across were out of date or that didn't make sense, right. Everything that I was trying to, and part of this is because I didn't know what to look for necessarily, right? I just knew I wanted to build something with blockchain, but didn't understand like how to ask Google the right questions to give me the resources, right? So it's sort of like you don't know what you don't know, and you don't even know how to find what you don't know. Yeah, Uh,
2: yeah. That's a really difficult aspect of of blockchain in general. Um, finding the, the resources for it. Like you may, may even find a lot of different resources, but they're never what you're looking for and you don't even know yourself what you're looking for, really.
0: Right, and, you know, and Google doesn't always necessarily know how to provide you questions because you, you may not be asking the right question. You're, in your mind, you're thinking, how do I do blank, right? Mm. But that's not necessarily even the right question to ask or like Google doesn't know how to give you the answer to that yet. Yeah, have, you know yeah. what I mean. I like, have enough like data to really like intelligently answer that for you.
2: Yeah, for sure. And so you 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 started your blockchain right into development, or did you like um, uh, buy a cryptocurrency first to see what it's like or what?
0: Sure. Yeah. So I, I bought some cryptocurrency, and that was sort of my initial ex- exposure to blockchain. Right, and that's what I tell a lot mm-hmm. of people who are trying to get into blockchain. You know don't know how it works like learn how blockchains work and you know from the public side goes you know cryptocurrency is you know one of the major use cases for blockchain at all and like price speculation and, and store value and things like that um and you know that will teach you how they work as they are right now without them having to be this perfect thing before you can move forward right it's going to give you an experience of like what a public blockchain is right now what it does how it works um, you can learn about blocks, you can learn about transactions, you can learn about all that kind of stuff, all the fundamentals of uh using a blockchain, which is going to you know be super helpful for you to know how they work before you start building with them <laughs> yeah,
2: um, yeah for sure
0: so that 's what i that's that 's what I did and that 's what I advise other people to do. Um, and yeah, when I was learning to build my own projects, when I saw like, Hey, it's really hard to do this. It's really hard to do that. That's why that's why I saw a big opportunity that other people were asking the same kinds of questions and there weren't good resources yet. Right. Mm. So like, why did I get into blockchain? That was my first experience, but kind of growing out of my first experience of getting into it was when I started creating educational content because I saw the opportunity. So it was like, I got into it for one reason and like. What I started doing after that was maybe like different reasons. I mean, it's like still had the initial same reason, right? But like added more reasons uh, outside of that. So my first experience was getting into it, trying to figure out how to build something and it like having a really hard time finding the right information. And then adding the reasons of like, okay, what are the next experiences? The next experiences were like, Trying to connect with cool people who are building stuff so that you know i could work as a blockchain developer trying to and then also building educational resources for other uh programmers who wanted to learn to get into blockchain and build it because i saw such a big opportunity so if, if you guys don't know what i'm talking about like so adapt university is my website and youtube channel where i teach programmers how to build blockchain technology I have you know hundreds and hundreds of free youtube videos that screencasts that show you how to do that show you how to do the things that I didn't know how to do so that you don't have to learn blockchain the hard way like I did and I also have a blockchain developer boot camp which is a more in-depth intensive thing for people to like really build robust uh blockchain skills so like that's what I'm talking about in case anybody doesn't doesn't know um and yeah so like that that was my first experience and like all these other efforts kind of grew out of that initial experience. And yeah, I'm sure we can talk about more specifics about what were the individual pain points besides just not being able to find the information like when I was actually building this first project, what, um, what issues did I come across, what gotchas were there. I'll talk about that in a minute, but I want to first kind of hear a little more about your initial experience, Bruno.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting because you said that before getting into blockchain you bought some cryptocurrencies and you know trying to figure out how they worked and went on from there um i came from a very different aspect because i didn't buy any cryptocurrencies to this day i don't have any um but um what i did is i uh got hired by a, a startup and there was a main like a big project coming up on that startup um to work with blockchain and no one had done any project like that before and it was for not just public blockchains but we wanted to have private information running across that blockchain we wanted to have the security and the trust and the traceability of blockchain in a private network that basically consisted of finances of big companies um and no one really knew how to tackle that and i um thought it was interesting and asked my coworkers if i could be on the the lead of that project um so through digging and looking around and seeing the f- different frameworks and how to do private blockchain um i actually got driven towards a single blockchain solution really for private blockchains and that's hyperledger you know it's a um it's basically a tool set i guess it's a big project under the linux foundation and it has a bunch of other like frameworks and libraries that you can use yeah um but I was mainly using Hyperledger Fabric because it's the most, um, what do you say, mature framework, I guess, you know, it's Mm -hmm. on its stable version and everything. And there is a bunch of documentation for it, but it's only the official documentation. (laughs) If you go looking for resources elsewhere, you don't really find it, like, in a big project level, like you can see the basics of how it works. And you know, in a test environment, in a development environment. But when it comes down to production and how to manage the infrastructure in production, it's really, really different. And, um, yeah, it was really challenging to see, like to go to that production level without knowing anything. And, um, well, I sort of drew a path from there with my, Co-workers at the company, and uh, we ended up later using IBM blockchain platform. Uh, it makes things way easier, but it still works with Hyperledger Fabric. And it it took me around two months until I completely understood at least the paradigm shift between working in a centralized application with your database and everything in working in a decentralized way with blockchain um it's not something that's really easy to grasp because it goes against a lot of things that you assume as a a a developer Mm -hmm. and um it's just really really different from everything and you have to like keep yourself in check to make sure that you're using that you, you have the best security and that you're taking care of the application like it should um, and yeah it's it's really really difficult to shift your thought into creating decentralized applications um, but that's at least for the private um, blockchains i didn't really have any experience with public blockchains <laughs> only have like only researching more about public blockchains after i started this podcast sure talking about ethereum and everything like that it's now that i'm researching more and considering actually buying some cryptocurrency in the future but um sure yeah it's like new grounds for me even more
0: (laughs) yeah 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 totally
1: Vue.js is no longer the new kid on the block. It's a well-established framework that allows you to build web applications similar to React and Angular. We have a podcast featuring several people from the Vue community, including Chris Fritz, who's on the Vue core team, Ben Hong, who works for GitLab, and several other people that contribute on a regular basis to talk to us about Vue and all of the things going on in the Vue community and all of the things you can do with it. You can check it out at viewsonview.com. That's views, V-I-E-W-S, on dot com.
0: So maybe tell me a little bit about uh, some of those specific things, like you know, coming to decentralized infrastructure. Like, what what were maybe some of the paradigm shifts that you encountered? Like, you know, what did did you ex- experience something that uh, did you have a specific experience that had a light bulb moment for you or anything like that?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, So from the top of my head, I can think about mainly the um, um, sort of like authorization or um, access management flow in a private blockchain, because that's actually what sort of like what um, differentiates a private blockchain from a public blockchain is that you actually have roles and You can define who sees what information inside of your blockchain and who has access to what. And um, it doesn't work, in a, at least in a typical way that I've seen before. Um, You basically have a bunch of nodes, you know, a bunch of workers. And those can be servers or instances or whatever. Um, But those workers, they carry around certificates every worker has a certificate and every worker has a signature. And not only that, but they can assume assume identities of users inside of the, the blockchain. And um, figuring out how to manage the roles and how to actually see the information that you want to see or make some information private, um, it was kind of challenging at first, um because you don't really know which roles should you take in some in some cases, you can take multiple roles inside of a same worker, and all of the transactions they need to be signed by specific workers or specific roles and um it's very difficult to figure out all of that uh flow. Uh, Specifically, when you think about different uh, organizations involved in the blockchain. So say, for instance, you have two different companies that want to share information between them. Um, But one company only wants to share a single uh, information and the other wants to share uh, a little bit more. And you have to figure out who is going to be, who are going to be the the users of each uh company and using hyperledger fabric at first you have to manually declare which are the workers what are the certificates where they are like the physical file of a certificate like i think it's PEM file um you have to physically like manually set where those files are according to uh, the creation of the uh, the the worker in a YAML format or something like that. And um, thinking about growing that is kind of complex because you need to manually manage every single one of them. And then when we came to IBM blockchain, that solved a lot of our issues because now we didn't have to manually set all of the access and all of the certificates and everything and link everything and make sure everything's working. And it took like 10 minutes to spin up a local development server using uh, Kubernetes and Docker and everything. And it was really painful, but then in IBM blockchain, everything was just a click away. And it solved a lot of the issues that we're having in then. Is when we felt productive, but it was good to like have that first contact, the first manual contact with the certificates and uh, user management to see how it worked under the hood because on IBM blockchain, you can pretty much do everything open to every organization, and it doesn't show you an error or Uh, uh, permission uh, denied or anything like that you know you have to to still set the the permissions accordingly to what your project is and but it's really easy to set them in a bad way or in a way that some other organization can have access to what it shouldn't have Um, but it was really interesting to work with those user management assets and the flow of everything and until you understand everything it's it's really really great after you understand it and can manage it all you you have a nice feeling
0: <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> yeah you know you said something in that that uh kind of resonates with uh or at least i identify with from me my initial experience with blockchain where there's some of the pain of getting set up initially. You know, I talked earlier about the pain of learning how to do it. Well, there's also was the pain of the tooling initially. And and the tools have gotten better even since the amount of time that I've been in blockchain. Um, Hmm. You know, and even before they are now, it was like, it was really hard to do anything. (laughs) You know, like in one sense, like blockchain solves uh, some problems, that uh like in one thing and once it gives you some things out of the box for free that you would normally have to build with a traditional application like for public blockchain for example like you know the blockchain's kind of like a database you 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 can you mm-hmm. store data on it already out of the box uh it already has you know user accounts you don't have to model something like that if you were going to do a fully decentralized application um so you got users and you got database already ready for you but <laughs> still like even like building tools that talk to that and like you know act on behalf of the users like that initially was really hard you know um okay. so once you learned the information and figured out how to do it uh you know piecing the libraries together like sometimes they didn't work sometimes <laughs> you know yeah. it was like it's like oh my gosh you know the the versions of the languages kept changing and now we realize it's not safe to do this anymore. You can only do this. And you know, if you did something before, it's not safe. Well, it's on a public blockchain and you can't change the code. So sorry.
2: <laughs> there, yeah. there was a lot that's of a, initial pain. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's an interesting aspect of blockchain and one that you have to be ready for is that it's constantly evolving and people are figuring out new and more secure ways of doing transactions and everything inside the blockchains. And at least with my experience with Hyperledger, uh, in one day we were doing something in a specific way, and then a week after they release a patch and they change everything on how you do it and you have to adapt into that new scenario. Um, If you want to keep your tooling updated and it's a lot of changes and there's a lot of people working on improving those tools. Um, There's still not a lot of tools out there, but the ones that you have, they're still in a constant uh, phase of evolving. I think that Hyperledger, at least Hyperledger Fabric only became um, like its first stable release only released. um, I think it was, the end of 2018 or something like that it wasn't a long time ago um and they're still working on major releases of the 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 framework and it's something that you have to keep in mind you know it's constantly evolving and you're gonna have to adapt to new scenarios and new conditions
0: yeah totally yeah 100% agree and uh you know this on the public side um You know, you're you're talking about being at the mercy of the people who upgrade the protocols you're working with themselves with your legacy code. I I did a video. Uh, at the beginning of January of this year, so 2019, uh, about a fork that happened on the Ethereum uh, mainnet, or they were was going to happen. Um, at least they were, they were planning on it. Um, and basically, if you don't know what a fork is, essentially, uh, it's like a fork in any other technical sense. You know, you, you diverge from a path that you're currently on and create something new. And in blockchain, that that Basically, means you're taking the blockchain and, and going a different direction with it, um, mm-hmm. of the history at least. And sometimes that means that, like, you know, people some people maintain uh, the first branch and or sorry, the main branch, and then other people will decide to only use the other branch. But in this case, it was a situation where it was uh, a fork where pretty much everyone had agreed to use the new path rather than you know some people staying on the old path and some people staying on the new path um so the the question that I, everybody was having and was like you know bombarding with is like are my smart contracts gonna work am i gonna you know I was like is, <laughs> is everything gonna work uh because it's just a fear that's in people's minds of like Man, anytime a protocol gets changed, anytime the blockchain itself gets changed, like, is all my stuff gonna break? Is it completely out of my control as a developer? You know, because this could be a real challenge for people who, you know, build smart contracts that handle large funds. You know, it's like if you, yeah. if your smart contract is a cryptocurrency, if it is a token and you have, you know, millions of dollars of value in this type of stuff, it's like, will it, will it break? Yeah. Nope. So th- this is the kind of stuff that people, you know, are, are always, always wondering. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think the Ethereum foundation has done a good job of like letting people know what the changes are going to be ahead of time and, and, and giving us realistic expectations of what will we'll change and what won't. And they you know, they have a lot of invested interest in not, you know, breaking everyone's tokens. So they're not going to do that, but, uh, you know, sometimes yeah, it's, you don't, it's pretty you don't important the, for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. And, you know, you don't always know what the, uh, Conce- but you don't always know the consequences of our thing until you just you do it for real in the real world. And uh, yep. once it's done on the blockchain, it's it's done. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, that's that's the main like fear, like the main factor that drives fear into people. Because like the same thing happens with frameworks, for example, like Angular or React and everything. You know, they keep evolving and they push on breaking changes, but. In those cases, you have the choice to like, okay, I'm going to get the new version or I'm going to stay in my current version and just work from here and accept that I'm not going to be updated anymore. And, you know, they can you can still choose all those different versions. But in blockchain, because data is immutable and it's constantly growing. You know, it's very difficult to undo something that you've already done in it. And because it's basically a database, um, you know, if you push out a new version, all the transactions and everything that are from that version on forwards, they're going to use this new version, right? Is it the same thing with public blockchains? Uh, Yes, somewhat.
0: And you know in in public blockchain where we have this idea of governance um so the idea of like who makes decisions about what's done and how there's all these kind of crazy you know really uh niche nerd arguments about governance all this kind of stuff and some people want to try to do that like on the blockchain i I don't want to get off too far into that uh into the weeds on that one. Mm. Um, but yeah, there, there is like a bunch of protocol and process about how these decisions get made and how they roll out and all that kind of stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally.
1: Developers are people just like us. And a lot of times they have really, really interesting stories about how they got into a programming language, out of a programming language, how they got into programming in the first place. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that have a degree in music or have some affinity for music, or maybe they have a degree in something else like theater, and then they wound up getting into programming for other reasons. I actually used to work with a whole team of people that all had law degrees that wrote code. It's just interesting to me how people have come along in their careers as developers. So we have a show for you. If you are into JavaScript, go check out my JavaScript story. That's at myjsstory.com.
0: So what, um, tell me, you know, a little more about... You know the experience of of building an app like can you think of any time where you know you got in there initially and you were just trying to do something and it just sort of blew up in your face or like it kind of <laughs> you saw some gotcha where you learned a lesson the hard way or something like that
2: um kinda yeah, um at first when we started developing the our application, we thought that we were gonna have like say five organizations, right. Mm -hmm. Um, we were going to have, because of the way the businesses worked, we needed to have some synchronization between them. And one of the organizations was going to be our own, you know, the company that was developing it because it was for third parties. So we're going to have our organization and all the other, um, um companies that wanted to join this blockchain, they would be separate organizations on their own. Um, but then like we created everything, we manually set the certificates and everything, and we ran a few tests locally and everything worked. And we're like super hyped. We're like, okay, wow, it's running on blockchain. We have a live blockchain running on my computer. You know, this is amazing. And then when we started working, like going to a test environment online, you know, with the uh, online infrastructure and everything at uh, using IBM blockchain, uh, we started getting a, like a few people from these different companies to test the environments and see if this first stage, if it was working and everything. But um, we ran into a lot of problems regarding permissions. Because on Hyperledger, you can set like this organization is going to have this member and the this member can assign new members to this organization to see only the data from this organization. So say organization Bam. number one, you can have Bruno in organization number one and he's going to assign roles to other um uh, employees of that company for example to see specific things um, and the same with organization number two and three and so forth um, but the way we developed first was that our organization was the only one that could assign those roles and we basically ran into a um, uh, a situation where every member of the organizations could see everything on the blockchain um even though we were using what they call private databases on the the nodes and everything like that anyone could see everything so we started testing of course with fake data at first and like a, one of the organizations they were looking at the data and they could see data from another organization and they were like what is this data doing here why is this here and we couldn't test that in our uh, local environment because we didn't really have uh, multiple roles in our local environment. But when we went to that testing, yeah, it was a pretty big um, uh, situation and we had to quickly fall back and restart everything. And we had to basically start from scratch the development of the uh, the, the blockchain because the assignment of roles in hyperledger they work as transactions on the blockchain so once you create a role and once you create a genesis block um, you can't like delete that you can't delete that role you can only assign new roles and you can't assign an empty role so basically you have to have everything set up from the beginning you know who are the organizations and who are the managers of those organizations, that all needs to be on the Genesis block. And um, if someone, some other organization wants to join, then that's fine. But if you can't alter an organization that has already joined because it goes against the business rules of the whole blockchain. So it was really different and really weird. And we had to basically go back to the beginning Um, because of that one thing and then we removed our organization as you know our company as one of the organizations and everything ran smoothly because then we just gave the role assignments to all of the companies to each company and you know they went on from there
0: yeah yeah totally that makes that makes total sense so you know we've talked about some of the pain of getting into this early, like you know, what were the gotchas? What were the how? We, how do we feel like we were banging our head against a wall at a certain time? You know, what what do you see uh, happening in the future that can make this easier? You know, people, how are people going to use this more? Like, what where do you see this headed for you on your? Um, end?
2: Well, on um, on the blockchain for business end, at least, um, I'm seeing IBM as sort of like a. Um, I wouldn't say leader, but, you know, the company is pulling other companies into working with blockchain because they have a really strong um, blockchain market, I guess. Um, They're working with a bunch of solutions, working with the Linux Foundation to create Hyperledger. And um, all of those projects are evolving and constantly growing. And I think what's going to happen is that more and more people are going to see the usefulness of blockchain and think about new scenarios where they can use blockchain, maybe private, maybe public blockchains. And um, the more people we have on board, the more ideas we're going to have and the more these projects are going to mature and grow. And... um, I can see already a lot of projects going like going into testing phases right now, sort of like a live, quote-unquote, prediction testing, mm-hmm. um, because it's one thing to develop something and another to go into production and see, you know, have a real-world uh, test. And um, I can see that a, a lot of projects from IBM, again, are going into this live, real-world test right now, at least, and in the next couple years, I think more projects are going to arise because I think that what happened is people started working with blockchain a couple of years ago, at least private blockchain, um, a couple of years or so ago, and now the software is sort of like in this state where it can be the it can be deployed and we can see what it looks like and then we can do testing and improve on that you know um speaking of tests i think that unit testing and you know automated testing for blockchain in the private blockchain scenario for example is going to get a lot of traction because at least from when i worked with it it didn't really have you didn't really have a way to do it Uh Um, So, I think people are going to come up with new uh, solutions for that and how to make your uh, applications more robust, you know.
0: Yeah, totally. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I think on my end, you know, for the public side, you know, we got a lot to look forward to uh, tools getting better. You know, people are shipping uh, new versions of the libraries, uh, quite often new versions of the programming languages. Of course, that does bring some pain, right? You know, things, mm-hmm. you know, your, your app may not be up a day. You have to change things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, you know, we're one big... Uh, Effort right now in the blockchain space is like people building infrastructure. So we're seeing like, you know, new new things, uh, new products releasing, trying to solve certain problems, you know, some some doing it better than others. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, from the Ethereum side, like one big thing that the Ethereum community is looking forward to is, you know, Ethereum 2.0 um, and mm-hmm. what that could potentially do for blockchain. Higher transactions speed. Uh, uh, sorry, fast more more transactions per second, um, higher throughput, scalability, all that kind of stuff is sort of the thing that we're all looking forward to. Because right now, you know, that was one of the big things when I got into it. Uh, initially, it was like, oh, some of this stuff is like slow. You know, the user experience um, can for newcomers can not quite meet your expectations of what you're used to on other. Uh, applications where it takes a little longer for something to happen other than your sort of instant gratification that you would experience if you're just, you know, signing up for a new service with, you know, by downloading an iPhone app. And, you know, the, the onboarding process uh, looked a lot different, I guess is what I would say.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Um, so, yeah, those are things that I, I look forward to um, as, you know, we continue to build out, you know, projects on public blockchains and being able to see those kinds of things really come mm-hmm. to fruition.
2: And, of course, more, uh, Deaf University videos to help. That's right. People. <laughs> That's right.
0: Yes. Yes. More videos come. Yes. More videos will come. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess that um, there's a, a growth in uh, blockchain related content, not just, you know, the frameworks themselves, but mm-hmm. where to find the resources, you know, to sort of supply that pain that we had in the beginning of not knowing what to look and where to look. Uh, I think we've had some major improvements in that already, but we're still lacking a lot. But there's definitely been some improvements.
0: Yeah, yeah, very cool.
2: Well, Bruno,
0: um, I've I've really enjoyed this chat today. Before we kind of before we start winding things down, uh, is there anything else that we should you know let the people listening know about our first experiences and what can help them if they're you know kind of getting started in blockchain?
2: uh well i guess that the main thing to take from all of this that we said is you know really dig into what you're doing and uh in blockchain at least for now it's a lot of trial and error and you have to figure out you know how is it going to apply in on your scenario because there's a lot of people doing different things for different scenarios and each of them you have different Uh, solutions for um but yeah just you know figure out what works best for you and try to keep true to the aspects of decentralization you know you see a lot of people going into blockchain but then doing things in a centralized way so it doesn't really make a lot of sense to even use the blockchain sure you know so be conscious about what you're doing and what kind of project you're going to use blockchain for uh, i guess that's the main thing to take out from today
0: yeah totally yeah it makes makes perfect sense all right bruno well i've enjoyed this chat um. Everybody, go uh, you know, go check out the the resources that are gonna be in the video description. Are there any other resources that you wanted to mention, Bruno? You didn't mention people want to get into Hyperledger. You, know, you mentioned the official documentation is being a good place. to Yeah, start. yeah. Anything yeah, else? I'll we'll we'll make sure out?
2: to to link the documentation in there. Um, I've watched a few Udemy courses regarding Hyperledger that are uh, really good for the beginner aspect of it. So I'll definitely link those as well. Um. But yeah, it's mainly the Hyperledger documentations. That's where you're going to find find everything about Hyperledger.
0: Yeah, the documentations
2: are really good, so that's a plus. <laughs>
0: Yep. Yep. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. And if you're interested in doing public uh, blockchain works, particularly on Ethereum, yeah, go check out dapuniversity.com. I've got several hundreds of YouTube videos on how to do this stuff for free and also a lot of uh, full length articles. And you can find more about my uh, blockchain developer bootcamp on the website as well. All right, everybody. Awesome. Um, Yeah, I really enjoyed this chat today. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up here. Again, I'm Gregory from DAP University, and this was my co-host Bruno today. Um, I really enjoyed chatting. So guys, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and get automatic updates. And until next time, thanks for listening to Adventures in
2: Blockchain. See you, everyone.
1: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN.